Hello and welcome to Giant Mess. I am your host, Neil Lynch. I am a giant mess. I'm a Giants and Mets fan who loves movies, comedy, TV, and a whole lot more. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the passing of NBA superstar basketball legend, award-winning filmmaker Kobe Bryant at the age of 41 in a helicopter crash. We'll also talk about Eli Manning's retirement, what his career means, and why the Hall of Fame debate is moot. Also, Joe Judge has rounded out his coaching staff for the New York Giants. We'll take a look at all the different additions. New York Mets mutually parted ways with Carlos Beltran, all thanks to the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal. And they hired Moises Alou's brother, Luis Rojas, to manage the ball club. Joanna Cespedes is up and running, or so the videos on the internet would have you believe. Gary Cohen has announced that his booth mate for Mets broadcast, Ron Darling, is officially cancer-free. We'll see where a handful of Mets rank at their current positions heading into the 2020 season. We might talk free agency, we might talk draft. We'll also give you the latest on Starling Marte, because we've only been talking about it for months on end. So with that, let's get started. So before we dive into the meat and potatoes of the show, I'm going to do some promos at the beginning, because I don't think people listen to the end. I gave you a secret keyword that you're supposed to send to me if you heard the end of the the show. Uh, Was it last week? I don't even know when. But uh, Real Cinch, R-E-A-L-C-I-N-C-H on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Go to Facebook.com slash giant mess and give me a thumbs down. I'm fine with that. You should also probably call the voicemail. It's very lonely. It's cold. 862-BIT-1986. You don't have to have anything in mind when you dial the number. Give it a call. Give it a buzz. Give it a ring. And just go off. Whatever's on your bean, whatever's in your dome, have at it. Have at it. Tear me apart. Roast me. Okay? I've probably heard it all. If we're being honest, I've probably heard it all. But there's always room for improvement, right? (sighs) Wow. It's um, a couple shows ago, I was talking about January and the optimism that I had in January. This was like the first week in January. I just watched the Kevin Hart comedy uh, docuseries on Netflix, and it kind of got me like in that hustler mode. I was like, I'm an entrepreneur now because I got big ideas. And uh, yeah, that all went to shit. Uh, Work has, has completely torn me down as an individual, as a human, um, and uh, all that confidence, that swagger, completely out the window. I'm a broken man. I've been, like, the level of stress eating and stress drinking that has been going on in in this house has reached all-time levels. Just insane. We had friends over for Martin Luther King weekend uh, just on Saturday. For most of the day, got cracked open the first beer like a little afternoon, and uh, and just kept drinking, kept eating donuts, dips, chips, whatever you put in front of me, I had it in my body. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. It was just, uh, it was absurd. And uh, you know, ended up getting into a debate about how I don't think Jay Z is that great a rapper. And that he's only 
in the cultural spotlight, in the zeitgeist, as they say, because of his uh, business exploits, his investments. He's smart when it comes to business. Um, and I, I, got, I caught a lot of shit for that. So <laughs> made me feel real small. Um, the friends that we had over, the two couples, they, uh, they have each have a child of their own. We're all, each child is equidistant from the next. So our baby daughter's 16 months, the next, one, the next one's a year, and then the next one's like, uh, I guess would be eight months. And trying to coordinate their sleep times, uh, it's a delicate balance. It is a juggling act with chainsaws. You put, you put them all down at the same time, you think you got it, then one kind of pipes up, and that kind of gets the other one, the other section going, and then you got a symphony of, of, of crying babies on your hands. So eventually they, they passed out, um, but it took a while. I also invented a new drink, and this is, this is where I'm at in life now. Um, one of our friends came over, and she had surgery, dental surgery, and so as part of that, she gets painkillers to deal with the pain from the post-surgery, uh, I don't know, throbbing and whatnot. And she was like, yeah, do you want one? And I was like, you know what? You know, I had to work till like 8 o'clock at night. It was almost another 12-hour day of work. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to relax. And my wife it does not respond well to painkillers. I know my mother's deathly afraid I'm going to be addicted to painkillers. Um, but uh, constipation pretty much rules that out for me. I don't want to have to constantly have to subscribe in bulk to Metamucil. Don't want to have to deal with delivering a baby um, while on painkillers. So I'm good. But once in a while, it's nice to just get numb. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So she gave me a painkiller, and I decided uh, I was just going to I had a tall, clear glass of vodka soda, and I just placed the the Vicodin, the Vike, right there on the top and just let it dissolve into my drink, in it, and it looks like snow falling. And so I call that drink the snow globe, and it, it did me right. Got, got me to where I needed to be, and uh, apparently it made me stay up till 2 in the morning, which, when you have a kid, is a death sentence. Um... I had probably woke up Saturday morning with the worst hangover of in a in quite some time, to the point where I couldn't see straight, and uh, it, it just felt like someone had my head in a vice, which uh, I know is not an original description of a hangover, but it's an accurate portrayal. Of course, the wife went to Philly for a bachelorette party that day, so I had the the baby all to myself, and I was on autopilot. This is where the, the TV is the babysitter. So she the TV got the assist on that day. And, uh, you know, you turn your back on the kid for like a millisecond. And you come back into the room and the food that you placed in front of her that you thought, erroneously thought, mistakenly thought, that she would just pick up her fork at the age of 16 months and would delicately spear her food and gently place in her mouth and chew the appropriate amount of times and swallow. Not even close. I came back and it was just ground beef and mac and cheese all over the floor. 
you know, and that's my fault. I ordered on the border. On the border comes and it's the baby taking a look at her rubber bowl of warmed over. I think this was like the third or fourth time it's been warmed over. Ground beef and mac and cheese. She took a look at my, now admittedly on the border, it's nothing. I don't know why I fell in love with on the border. I think it's probably because I was on painkillers. When I had, back when I had uh, shoulder surgery, my ex-girlfriend lived by an on the border near the Rutgers campus. And so we used to go there almost every Friday night and I would get like the border sampler, the queso, mix it up there and then go to a movie. So maybe my on the border is nostalgia, but like it is a totally different ball game when you get on the border delivery via DoorDash versus on the border in the restaurant. It's just a different just slaps different as the uh, children say so kind of try to scarf that down with the baby kind of pawn at it and then uh, she gets in the mode where it's like she's had about enough of my laziness my fatness my baldness my hairiness all the beautiful traits that make me me and uh, she'll just get up on the table stand on the table uh, stand on the couch anything to test me and uh, those who know me best know that I'm an extremely patient person who doesn't have any anger issues whatsoever. <laughs> False. I am, a, I am a walking volcano. So um, did I yell? I didn't yell at the top of my lungs. I'll say that. But I definitely got vocal, <clears throat> turned up the volume, increased the decibels on my baby girl. But, uh, you know... It was nice hanging out with her friend on Friday night and, and getting numb and just talking shop. And then, uh, you know, Saturday, um, just trying to survive, just watching so much TV. And then Sunday, um, pretty much the same. I just, I don't have any energy whatsoever to do anything. <laughs> I'm completely, I'm a broken man. And then uh, as if the Sunday scaries... Uh, weren't scary enough. We got the news at like probably close to three o'clock Eastern time. Uh, I got a text on a group chat from one of my buddies who said, uh, Kobe dead question mark for real. And you know, you hear so many rumors that can just take off, especially uh, with the dawn of the internet the age of misinformation you just have so much happening where hoaxes are seemingly more prevalent than actual factual <laughs> news so i just kind of brush it off i was like ah, I'll, I'll look into it a little bit so i look into it and um yeah multiple reports saying that he um he passed in a helicopter crash and of course i think that same group chat um my buddy other another guy, another friend, sends like a a grainy, blurry video of a helicopter just spinning out of control in what appeared to be like a canyon area, some kind of like park or preserve or something where there it's a tourist attraction apparently, and people are just hanging out and and you see it crash into a giant fireball explosion and I just I was just like dude 
Like I'm uh, Sunday scaries through the stratosphere. And you're now going to give me a faces of death video. Just layer that and slather that on top of my raging Sunday scaries. And then, of course, he, he like backpedals a little bit and he's like, well, you know, I don't know if it's the real video. I don't know if it's actually it. The damage is done, dude. Why would I want to see that? And yes, I watch a ton of action movies and, and whatnot, but uh, to, to, I don't want to actually see someone die. No. No, thank you. So everyone just in pure disbelief. Uh, I mean, he's, he's 41. He was 41. Um, and, uh, I'm, you know, I just turned 39. It's, it, I, it's so weird thinking about Kobe being only like two years older than me, even though he's been around forever. Um, I just, I still don't see him as like someone in his forties and now he's no longer with us, which is insane to think about a world without Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, a lot of tributes pouring in. I've listened to a couple of different uh, shows talking about it, mostly from Barstool, you know, part of my take, the yak. Um, and what's weird, and I don't know why people do this, is trying to do, like, a comparison and saying, like, is this the most tragic death in sports is it's like i don't know why are we why are we doing a ranking i don't know why we're doing it i mean yeah i mean i don't think you can understate how profound an impact this has been how tragic it is i don't think anyone is is trying to diminish that um but uh you know i was not a big basketball i'm i'm still not a big basketball guy i mean i think the last time i cared about basketball was hmm, probably when the Nets went to the finals in 01 or 02. I think it was 02 because the Sixers were 01, I believe. Who was 2000? I don't know. But uh, really into it in the 90s, would watch you know every weekend basketball game that came on, I think, NBC. And uh, you, know, you watch the game. You watch Jordan. You watch Stockton. And then you, uh, Reggie Miller, Patrick Ewing. And then I would go out and shoot hoops for like an hour or two trying to like emulate them. And that was in high school. And then, you know, you get to college and I just kind of, you know, the the biggest basketball game that I could remember was not even in college. It was actually after college, two years, which was, uh, was it the Melee in Detroit? I don't even know if that's <laughs> if it's what it's actually called, but the Pistons and uh, Pacers. Was it the Pistons and Pacers? Yeah. Where they just went hog wild on each other. Massive fight with, you know, Ron Artest going into the stands. I mean, that is legitimately like the last basketball game that I can remember. Of course, I followed LeBron with the Cavs because I thought that was a great story, you know, because Cleveland was so hard up for a championship in the first go round. Um, but as, as everyone pointed out, like Kobe was kind of the bridge between uh, MJ and LeBron. Um, you know, a lot of people said that he wouldn't have won, uh, all those championships without Shaq, which is true. But then again, you know, is it's a team sport. I mean, like does Michael Jordan win if he doesn't have Scottie Pippen, um, you know, Dennis Rodman, Kerr, the whole bunch there, BJ Armstrong. 
Um, and there's also the the you know people want the the logo to be changed to be his silhouette instead of uh, West. I don't even know the guy's name. J- Jerry West, I think. And it's like that seems a little. Hmm, I don't know. Um, of course, in the back of my head, it's hard. You know, you want to remember the good and you want to celebrate his life for sure. And he's done so much since retiring, and he's obviously a, a family man. And you know, he's been such a mentor to younger younger guys in the league, college kids, high school kids, Shaq's son. Um, so you know, he he. You know, it's just as serious about his business. So he retired from basketball, but he didn't retire from being active and from being involved in like business activities. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people looked up to him and his Mamba mentality. I know Saquon, huge fan, Saquon Barkley. He loves, he wanted to meet Kobe and he won't get that chance. Daniel Jones picked number eight um, because of Kobe. So there are ties there. He was a he apparently was a Mets fan. This is weird. I didn't watch the video, but like they, there's some kind of video of him in a Dodgers had at Dodger Stadium. I guess it was 2009. Just saying that he grew up as a Mets fan um, and wanted to be you know the next Daryl Strawberry. So there are connections to the Mets and Giants there. Um, but what's in the back of my head is that you know this unfortunate thing that happened with him. Um, you know, the rape case, it's just kind of something I can't shake. It's something that a, a couple other people uh, brought up for their own gain and for, you know, for whatever clicks and whatnot. And I'm not bringing it up for that now, um, but it, it is, I don't know what the upshot of that was. It's one of those things where I heard about it. And if you just speaking casual, speaking casually in groups, like it just seems like it happened, but it was swept under the rug. And um, ultimately, I don't remember what. And this is this makes me, what makes me such a horrible sports fan is I don't have that encyclopedia knowledge that traced the lifeline of or the the timeline of that case and what the final result was. Um, it just stinks to have that associated with him if it didn't if it didn't happen um but to say to change the logo i mean i'm all for tributes and whatnot um and i think he's done a lot for the game and for a lot of people out there but i don't know it's just something about that case that will oh i I, in my mind i will always associate with him so it just also is a, a reminder of like you know, here today, gone tomorrow. I know that's such a harsh way of putting it, but it's just, uh, you know, the fact that I'm around his age, I just don't, I don't, you know, and I, I just don't ever want to go in a helicopter. I just don't. I've seen too many, I've seen him heard too many bad things that happened with it. I mean, uh, there was that, uh, was it a Yankees pitcher that crashed and, was that a helicopter or a private plane? Private planes too. I mean, who was the uh, Doc Holliday? No, the Phillies pitcher. I don't know. 
it's just a, it's a, it's a lot to process. Um, but I just don't like trying to rank this as like, this is the the most tragic. Like, let's not rank. Don't, don't try and think of another. Like, it is what it is. I mean, it's a, you know, I can't believe the NBA played games that day. I thought they probably, you know, I heard PFT on part of my take saying that he. The NBA should, probably should have canceled the games last night. I know that the Clippers-Lakers postponed their series, um, presumably to to have a more thorough tribute to him. Uh, there's talk about other teams other than the Lakers retiring his numbers, like 8 and 24. There's talk about the NBA retiring both his numbers. There's talk about... Um, you know, one team wearing all 24, one team wearing all eight. Um, and it, it, what's weird is like, I, I never was a Kobe fan, but the more I look at him and, and, uh, and this is going to sound super delusional and narcissistic, but I see a lot of him and me. I see a lot of myself and him to a certain degree. Like if he was a fat, balding, hairy white dude he would be me <laughs> and uh if i was a tall bilingual uh <laughs> basketball player i'd be him no I, don't, I think he just embraced being the villain at times and uh i i've i used to think that i was like this nice guy um who's like likable and um makes people laugh, but I don't know. I've become a lot more jaded. Um, no longer really make the effort to go that extra mile to get people to like me, and um, I've just become a Grinch and a grump. Not to say that, like, Kobe is that, but um, there are some times where I just, it, it comes over me and I'm like, I could, I want to be a villain right now. And like, I know I, it's so easy for me to be the villain, which I guess is the human condition. It's just easier to be bad than it is to be good. So I, I am proud to say that I have resisted it for the most part, but, um, you know, he's got a obsession with excellence, with perfection. Um, he even said that like he wanted to be magic johnson but didn't have the height so he kind of modeled his game he didn't kind of he really did model his game after michael jordan because he saw him growing up and and just thought uh the way that he attacked the rim that it made the most sense to to model his game after him so and what sucks is like his daughter was on the helicopter with him when it crashed and so she's no longer with us either and uh, I think he has two, three other daughters and his wife that survived him. Um, but it's uh, there's no denying his place within history. He, I mean, he's just a tenacious dude who, uh, extremely hard work ethic and had big plans, you know, for the rest of his life. And it's like... I have big plans for the rest of my life and I <laughs> I won't accomplish like one one millionth of what Kobe Bryant has done. But I still kind of, there's a little part of me that holds out hope that like, all right, 
maybe if you can get your act together and uh, not stress eat and not come up with drinks called the snow globe with painkillers in it, maybe you could live long enough to actually do something that you're proud of. So, whew, that's rough. I came across this quote from Jean Anule. I have no idea how to pronounce that. It says, our entire life consists ultimately in accepting ourselves as we are. And I think that's what is, uh, it's what drove Kobe. And uh, it's been a challenge for me. Because I know like Kobe, um, he wanted to be better than MJ, better than Michael Jordan. He wanted to be the best in the game. And he came, I mean, he came very close and uh, now he has LeBron James that has uh, pretty much, I think, surpassed him in points. Um, and LeBron's pretty much on his way to um, breaking a lot of Michael Jordan's records, but also, but I don't know that he'll ever get to six championships. But I don't know that I knew who I was for the first half of my life. I thought I knew who I was. And now it's kind of like trying to come to terms with who I am now and uh eh, it's not going great <laughs> it's it's hard to accept I'm definitely in denial you know I have a weird 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 delusional kind of narcissism where I hate myself but I also have like a weird confidence in myself that I can do it but then I do it and I fail and I get down but then I keep trying but it's like <laughs> oh boy yeah R.I.P. Kobe Bryant uh, and uh, you know as if that wasn't uh, kind of you know the, I mean the world is we're in a whole new world it seems like without Kobe Bryant and now with Eli Manning no longer an active NFL player he announced his retirement last week. He had a press conference on Friday, short but sweet. Uh, he, you know, he didn't like full blown break down and cry and give like the sobbing, uh, the sobbing farewell that like maybe Brett Favre did or a lot of the other greats. But he could hear some sniffles here and there, so he showed a little emotion. And the end of an era. I really thought that we were gonna get three lie. The Three Lie Prophecy. I thought he was going to get a third one. I really did. I remember on the Tri-State Sports Guys show that I did with uh, a buddy, um, I I was certain, even in 2013, um, I was, I mean, everyone thought Eli was donezo and said that he his time is over, he's cooked, uh, he's a shell of himself, he can't do it anymore. And this is like, two seasons after he had the best season that a quarterback can have. And I said, vehemently said and stated and guaranteed basically that Eli was going to win a third Super Bowl. I really did believe that. And I really think that he could have if you just gave him something to work with. If you gave him a little something on defense and if you give him, uh, you know, a, just anything on offense because – um, he really did put the team on his shoulders in 2011. 
and had a, a fairly good year in 2012 and then 2013, you know, um, it all came crashing down. And, you know, Jerry Reese, his draft picks backfired. He didn't pick up the right free agents that could make the difference on either side of the ball. And Eli suffered, you know. And then uh, Tom Coughlin had to take the fall. I mean, can you imagine where we are uh, or where Eli is if in 2010 the miracle at the Meadowlands Part 2, the miracle at the New Meadowlands, doesn't happen? Say the defense just makes a fucking stand and we beat the Eagles. And who knows what that momentum does for the rest of the season. Maybe we don't get blown out by the Packers and the Ravens down the stretch. Was it the Packers and the Ravens? I don't know. All I know is we win the NFC East and we go to the playoffs. And who knows what we can do from there. I mean, you look at 08, but things went differently there. If Plaxico didn't shoot himself in the fucking dick, uh, where we would be, where Eli would be. You know, we had a really good chance at going and winning the Super Bowl that year. We got home field advantage, beat the Panthers to secure home field advantage. We had already, I believe we had already beaten the Cardinals once that year. We had an unbelievable rushing attack behind a, a solid offensive line. Uh, Plaxico Burris um, is just in, almost impossible to defend, especially in the red zone where he, he made his bones made his uh made his money and they shoot themselves in the leg and we're just not just not the same and uh you know we got we obviously get the bye we host the eagles in the divisional round and we just and we couldn't do anything in that game oh so 2008 could have been different if blacks didn't bring a gun to a fucking nightclub 2009 we got off to a hot start and we were five and oh and then everyone got injured uh, 2010, you know, we were look. I, I remember being at that Giants Eagles game and I met up with my cousin at halftime and we were trouncing the Eagles in that first half. And I said, we're going to the motherfucking Super Bowl and we're going to win it because, uh, we look that good. And then it just all went to shit in the second half. Matt Dodge, what are you up to right now? Give me a call. Let's talk about it. Oh. But 2011, he puts the team on his back, has quite possibly the greatest single season an NFL quarterback can have. Um, I mean, you look at uh, what he did in that season. Uh, the defense was pretty bad. Um, so I think this is the 2011 Super Bowl. Is this it? Possibly. I think so. Manning became the first quarterback in NFL history to throw for 4,900-plus yards and win a Super Bowl in the same season. The Giants were the first team with a running game ranked last and a defense ranked as low as 27th to win a Super Bowl. We were the worst team to ever win a Super Bowl, 9-7. and seven. And if it weren't for JPP blocking uh, the field goal, against Dallas at home, if it weren't for Victor Cruz taking it, taking it to the house, 99 yards against the Jets, we're not in the playoffs. 
So that was just a, a, a crazy season that um, Eli had something like five or six fourth quarter comebacks and game-winning drives that season. Um, I mean, we beat the 15-1 and Green Bay Packers in, at Lambeau, probably one of the best teams that Aaron Rodgers has ever quarterbacked. And, I mean, Eli's performance in San Francisco, I mean, they dismantled the Falcons on, on their home turf as the four seed hosting the uh, – uh, was it the four seed? Hosting the five seed, yeah. The Falcons were the, the five seed, and we just took it to them. I think it was 24, 26 to 2. And then just you know, taking care of business against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in Lambeau, which is which was nuts. And then um the performance that Eli put on at Candlestick was I, I mean I don't know how he survived. I think he had something like 50 plus dropbacks, 60 plus dropbacks or something like that, some insane amount of dropbacks, and it was just I mean sacked uh, half a dozen times hit almost like 20 times i mean and you know not just like oh he got knocked to the ground like his helmet came off and is on sideways and his shoulder pads are out of his jersey and just insane insane um beating that he took and still stayed in the pocket still made unbelievable throws under duress um you know i don't know that you know Say what you will about Eli Manning. I don't know that many other quarterbacks could get pummeled like he did in that championship game and manage to and manage to pull out the victory. I don't think Aaron Rodgers can do it. I don't think Tom Brady has ever done it. I don't think Drew Brees can do it. No one has put up a performance like Eli Manning in that NFC championship game. And, you know, People are saying, well, it's because, well, if he didn't do this and if he didn't win this, those two Super Bowls against the Patriots and if they weren't the Patriots and if it weren't that, well, guess what, motherfucker? He did. <laughs> the facts are facts. There's only a limited amount of quarterbacks that have won two Super Bowls and have two Super Bowl MVPs against, I mean, a fucking dynasty, the Biggest and best dynasty the NFL has ever seen in the New England Patriots. And if it wasn't the New England Patriots, I don't know that you would still take that. from. You're going to take that from him because it's not the Patriots? If it was the Ravens and the Broncos? I mean, like, uh, okay, dude. It's just, it's just non-Giants fans, Eli haters trying to get you riled up. I could give a fuck if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. We know he's going to the Hall of Fame. I guess the question is if he's first ballot or not. Who gives a shit? Like, is that honestly going to be, like, that's the card you're going to pull in some kind of argument? Well, he wasn't first ballot Hall of Fame. I don't care. Are they all, are, is that one a Hall of Famer? Is that one a Hall of Famer? Well, there you go. Just take a look at his stats, please. I, I honestly, I can't believe this is, and I have saw this question, I've seen this question for years now and honestly he could have stopped playing after that 2011 super bowl and i think he's still in i think he's still in i really do but anyway for his career 117 wins tied for 11th all time passing yards 57,000. that's seventh passing touchdowns seventh starts seventh consecutive starts third completions seventh attempts sixth it's tied for eighth with three touchdown games with 49 
He's uh, top 10 with four touchdown games, 14 four-touchdown games. He's tied for 12th for 300-yard games. He had 51. He has uh, nine 400-yard games, which is seventh all-time. He has seven 4,000-yard seasons. That's seventh. 37 game-winning drives. That's 10th. Four fourth-quarter comebacks in the playoffs. That's tied for third. Two Super Bowl titles tied for fifth. Two Super Bowl MVPs tied for third. <laughs> and he's not a Hall of Famer. You're, I mean, like, you just, you have to smile and laugh. Don't get angry if someone says Eli Manning is not a Hall of Famer. You just go, oh, yeah, totally. Now you're right. Totally not a Hall of Famer. And then when he does get inducted to the Hall of Fame, you forward the video of his speech to that to that person and say, oh, I hope hope you enjoy this. Wins by a starting quarterback supported by defenses ranked 16th or worse in points surrendered. So this is actually through 2016. This doesn't even take into account 2017, 2018, 2019 when, you know, the defense was – <laughs> pretty awful um so the wins by a starting quarterback since 1970 were where they had uh, essentially it's a, like a shitty defense a defense that's below average in points or points allowed peyton manning had 93 wins nine postseason uh nine postseason wins 102 combined wins with a horrible defense dan marino 72 regular season wins, two postseason wins. <sighs> two postseason wins. Damn, Marino. Jesus Christ. Uh, number three, Eli Manning. 65 regular season wins, eight postseason wins, 73 combined wins with a shit defense. Dan Fouts. For number four, 67 regular season wins, three postseason wins. Drew Brees, 65 regular season wins, three postseason wins. Now, this is going through 2016. So, but I mean, you know, look down the list. Brett Favre, 40, 44 regular season wins, zero postseason wins with a shit defense. Tony Romo, 42 regular season wins, zero wins. With a, with a horrible below-average defense. Aaron Rodgers, 34 regular season wins. Zero postseason wins with a bad defense. Matt Ryan, Andrew Luck, Jim Kelly, Phillip Rivers, Don Brady, Terry Bradshaw, Steve Young, Ken Anderson, Ken Stabler, Ben Roethlisberger, Troy Aikman, Joe Montana. Of that lineup that I just gave you, only Andrew Luck and Jim Kelly, Tom Brady, and Steve Young have, ha have ever had one bad defense in the postseason defense wins championships unless your quarterback is eli manning <laughs> and yeah i mean that 2011 defense was pretty bad uh the 2007 defense surrendered like something like 80 some odd points in the first two weeks people wanted steve spagnuolo's head and he figured it out 2011 was i mean we were we got smoked by the saints like kind of late in the season in that season and you just thought i mean we lost to the we lost to like i think we lost to rex grossman maybe in week one or two on the road so i mean it was a bad defense with zero running attack 
And Eli, you just, they basically were like, Eli, win the game. And he did. So, I, you know, I mean, if you, even comparing him to Peyton Manning. So everyone, you know, for the longest time, I remember in like the mid-aughts, for a long time, it was like, who's the better quarterback, Manning or Brady? It's Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. And, you know, it's, it's clear now Tom Brady is the best of all time. I mean, that's just, there's no argument there. Um, but Peyton Manning put up a lot of numbers, a lot of uh, lofty numbers. And he went to the postseason a lot, more than his brother. But uh, only one more postseason win. You know, take a look at their Super Bowl runs. So I have a graphic here up on my screen. Eli versus Peyton. I think this came via first things first. Completion percentage. Eli had 63.1% completion percentage during their super, during his Super Bowl runs in 07 and 11. Peyton Manning, 60.4%. Eli averaged 7.4 yards per pass. Peyton, 6.4. Eli, 15 touchdowns to two interceptions. Peyton, five touchdowns and eight interceptions. Eli had a 100.1 passer rating. Peyton had a 72.4 passer rating. So, I don't know, dude. You know, you tell me. Yeah, and I uh, believe me, I watched a lot of games. And I'm not saying that he was perfect. And I'm not saying that he is... Uh... Yeah, I guess you can't say he's uh, among the greatest of all time. But shit, man, I would rather have him than a lot of other quarterbacks, especially in the postseason. You know, I yeah, he was frustrating to watch sometimes, inconsistent, made some baffling decisions here and there, and uh, sometimes you never knew what you're going to get. But I don't think you had had a quarterback that did more with less than Eli Manning. Um, I was looking at his receivers in the 07 playoffs. Um, that was a pretty good crew. Plax, Amani, Steve Smith, I guess Tyree. But I mean, Amani and Plax. Amani was like, that was, I believe that was, I think that was the last year that he was in the league, but so he wasn't exactly where he was at the, at the height of his game, which I, I would say was 2000, 2002. Um, Plax though was kind of peaking at that point, and uh, so that was a good duo to have. And the 11 run Hakeem Nix and Victor Cruz and Mario Manningham. Manningham, I mean, we had <laughs> we had our um reservations about him, our doubts, but he still made a lot of clutch catches in those playoffs, important catches, and I just remember seeing. Him after he caught a ball, a touchdown, I guess, in the San Francisco game maybe, but like the swagger that he had and the bond that he had with Cruz and Knicks, it just seemed like these guys were unstoppable. And, of course, we lose Manningham. Hakeem Knicks just like breaks down physically. And, of course, Cruz uh, eventually um, is unable to carry the team as the number one, sorry to say. And then uh, he he breaks down physically as well. The Giants' rushing attack 
which averaged 3.2 yards per carry, was non-existent in that 2011 NFC Championship game. The Giants' offensive line graded out dead last in pass blocking, according to Pro Football Focus. A dominant 49ers defensive front uh, lived up to the hype, consistently getting pressure. Six sacks, 12 quarterback hits. And on third and 15 with the game on the line, uh, he, he found Mario Manningham for the touchdown. Unbelievable throw, great catch. And yeah, I mean, you could say, I mean, that the you want to talk about the definition of luck. The JPG, the JPP field goal block, the Victor Cruz run, the and in that 49ers game, their kick returner um muffing a punt and 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 also muffing the kickoff return which led to the game winner. I watched his press conference, and I don't, I don't know that Daniel Jones is going to be able to top that. <laughs> and, in, and and I know that in my lifetime, it's going to be hard to top what Eli did. 16 seasons, um, so many starts, and you can, you, can throw, you can throw the whole lack of quality starts at me. I don't give a shit. Um, you know, in a, in a high pressure situ- situation, um, with the with the right personnel around him, I mean, the guy was uh, was a Superman. I mean, 2016, 2015 and twenty sixteen were really really disappointments. Twenty fifteen opportunity to really put it all together. And and uh, and possibly go back to the playoffs. They gave their all against the Patriots. Should have won. Should have won against the Jets. Should have won against the Saints. I mean, all these games that they just lost last minute because their defense stunk. Could have gone ten and six. Could have gone to the playoffs. And who knows? Once you have that kind of momentum going to the playoffs, we've seen it before. I mean, they did it in 07 and eleven. I mean, if they get any kind of momentum going to the playoffs, then. You know, they're set because Eli just turns it up a notch. 2016 is a different story. They had the defense. They no longer had Tom Coughlin. They had Ben McAdoo-Doo hooping all over the game plan offensively. And I think if if they kept Coughlin, somehow kept McAdoo, McAdoo is an OC, probably has a better handle on on what to call from a play uh, play call standpoint, him as a head coach, we've seen the head coach offensive coordinator combo just doesn't work out. But Coughlin, there's no way he lets those receivers go on that fucking boat. <laughs> but like days before huge wild card game in Lambeau, no chance that uh, Coughlin lets that happen. He gets the team in the right frame of mind. McAdoo probably. Uh, Although I assume McAdoo would have left, I guess, but good riddance, I guess. I mean, they they probably could have brought in another OC, who uh, who knows what what that OC would have done. They would have done better than whatever McAdoo was calling because the offense was like kind of garbage, which is unreal considering we had you know Sterling Shepard in his rookie year, uh, Odell Beckham, um, and. Uh, 
you know, we we had Paul Perkins was emerging at that time. So I felt like we had enough weapons on offense to really go far. Victor Cruz, not exactly himself, but still contributing here and there. It just seemed like they had all the components necessary to go for a long run, and then they just, I mean, the receivers completely forget how to catch a ball. And then it was all, you know, it was all downhill from there. So it's it's a not the best way to to see him out. I really thought when I heard news that he was meeting with John Mara and that they were discussing something, I was like, "Oh shit. Okay. So Eli is open to become like staying on as a backup quarterback. It's very obvious that he does not want to go anywhere else and that um I think he really didn't want to retire. He really didn't. And it probably came down to some financials if we're being honest, because I just didn't see him playing anywhere else. I don't think he wanted to play anywhere else. And he said, said as much in his press conference. And you know, I made a joke because like Gary Myers or whatever, the dork from New York Daily News, um, you know, posted that, posted that, that news that Mara was meeting with Manning and uh, as coming back in a backup type role. And you know, I just said, I can, I honestly, I can see Eli Manning being a backup quarterback for the foreseeable future at the league minimum. It's a joke. I understand that's disrespectful to Eli. It's a joke. There's no way that he would take that and that the Giants would offer that because it's a slap in the face. It's a joke. But would I be willing to hand Eli four or five million dollars to be a backup quarterback? Fuck yeah. I think that's worth it. And I and 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 I but I don't think Eli was open to that, which stinks, because I really think he could have provided something, knowing that Daniel, I don't know, maybe doesn't have the same kind of durability that Eli has. Uh, I think, I don't know, I would have taken him back as a at five mil, to be a backup quarterback, come in when Daniel gets banged up because Daniel. <laughs> is a little aggressive when it comes to scrambling and doesn't know how to get out of bounds or take slide and takes too many hits. Uh, I would have liked that because I do think if they, if the giants make all the right moves and we've seen this with who, I guess the Packers and the 49ers. I mean, they sucked last year. They were awful. And now that they're, now they're both playing in the NFC championship game. So, um, you know, I think they're just, it can happen just a handful of players away. And that's why it's so nuts that, you know, and that's why I have held out hope even after such a shit season in 2018 and such a bad season in 2017. It's like, yeah, I don't know. You have a good draft. You have a little room under the cap to throw around some money. Who knows? Uh, people are talking about what's next for Eli. <clears throat> It's a great question. Uh, I don't see. I just. I don't know. He's. He's like currently the assistant coach for his his daughter's basketball team, and you know I think he likes working with kids. He's worked with sick kid sick kids for tackle cancer, whatever that foundation is. So um, you know I think he's just. You know, like they said on part of my take, I think he's just a suburban dad who likes coaching his kids and being with his kids and doesn't need to be a broadcaster or 
a coach at a, a high level. I think he he would have loved being a. He said he would. He, that was his dream was to be a backup quarterback. So <laughs> I think he just likes being part of part of something bigger than him. Very team first attitude. Of course, people detractors will say, "Well, like, why not take a pay cut and not accept twenty million dollars a year when you're not exactly worth that?" Um, okay, yeah, I get it, but uh, so I I related to him. I was I grew up wanting to be a Giants quarterback. Didn't have the talent whatsoever, but uh, you know, it was like I, in a way, you know, he's my age, so I was like, uh, that could have been me. Could have been a contender. I just watched Raging Bull, by the way. I don't know. Uh, first gut instinct, knee-jerk reaction, not a fan, but I didn't hate it. It was just, uh, I don't know. I think, it, you know, having seen so many movies like that since it came out, and that's that's the unfortunate way that, you know, uh, innovative or groundbreaking movies, you know, that were huge at their time for being different or unique like that's just kind of how it goes like once you see everything that was inspired by it and then you go back to the original source you're like yeah but i've seen this done a million times well this is the whole reason those things were done anyway they're gonna retire the giants are gonna retire eli Manning's number which is great number 10 i think they're also gonna retire strahan's number number 92 at some point though i mean that's kind of like the people in the know must know that the NFL is not going to last very long. <laughs> if that's the case, like how many numbers can you retire before it's like, ah, we're out of numbers. Gonna have to double back. Or it just turns into like college football with like, which is like two or three guys with the same number and one's on offense, one's in defense, one's on special teams. Um, so we should get, I guess one of the games next year, we should have the retirement ceremony, ring of honor, all that jazz which will be fun. Um, now looking ahead, I don't know. I was kind of hoping that Eli would come back as the backup quarterback because I don't know that Alex Tanney is really the answer at backup quarterback. I think there are a couple of other options out there. I wouldn't hate if Marcus Mariota came on board. That might be a nice option. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of the other free agent quarterbacks that might be out there. But Marcus Mariota seems to be the top of mind, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. Um, Joe Judge has uh, just about rounded out his staff. And, you know, I know I said on a previous show, previous episode, that if the Giants hired Jason Garrett as the head coach, we should riot. We should burn down MetLife Stadium to the ground. But I was not opposed to Jason Garrett being hired as the OC. And that's exactly what happened. And I kind of love what the approach that Joe Judge has taken with rounding out his staff. Um, And people were not high on the Freddie Kitchens hire. Freddie Kitchens, it's official now. He's going to be the tight ends coach. Um, Jason Garrett, OC. And for the most part, I've heard some really great things about uh, from players about some of the other hires. Running backs coach Burton Burns. Uh, Mark Ingram tweeted, best coach I ever had. Saquon, you blessed with this one, young bull. Um, Mark Colombo is the offensive line coach. I guess I think he might have been at Dallas with, G, with with Garrett. 
Um, Ted Tolbert remains as the wide receivers coach, which I think given, you know, everything that the wide receivers have been through <laughs> and still being able to be somewhat successful and the emergence of Darius Slayton, I think that's a good keep. Patrick Graham is the, the defensive coordinator slash assistant head coach. Uh, he was down in um, in Miami. He was the Dolphins defensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, the Dolphins defensive ranks pretty bad. Last in the league in points, second to last in yards, third to last yards per play, third to last turnovers, bottom five or six in passing, running, penalty yards, sacks. But did we forget that the Dolphins were, like, purposely tanking and then half the team mutinied <laughs> at one point? Did we forget that? Uh, Brett Belima, but Belima, I can never pronounce that. He's also a senior advisor. He's going to do the outside linebackers. Um, inside linebackers, I guess, is Kevin Schurer. Defensive backs, Jerome Henderson. Um, I won't go through the special teams, but there was a point where they – you know, Antonio Pierce's name was being thrown around, and I was like, I'm down with that. I'm, I'm like a huge fan of former players coming back and uh, coaching. You know, Pepper Johnson's name was thrown, is always thrown around whenever the, there's a coaching change. But, you know, Pepper Johnson, Antonio Pierce, like I would love to have those guys just back in the building because they can speak to their playing days as a giant. I think that's huge, but alas, nah, son, nah. Anyway, Patrick Graham uh, was interviewed about the Giants' defensive look, and he said the scheme is based on the people, which is, you know, exactly what Joe Judd said in his pro press conference. He said, we're not going to try and fit a square peg into a round hole, uh, which is basically what I said after watching every game with Pat Shermer at the helm and James Betcher. You know, you have these schemes, and they're not working. And it's because you're not tailoring it to the personnel. Uh, case in point, which I said over and over again, DeAndre Baker. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, there was an article, I forget where it was, but why DeAndre Baker is one of the Giants' most improved rookies from 2019. Mm, okay. And then you take a closer look and you see uh, he basically allowed through weeks one through 10 uh, before the bye, he was uh, allowing a completion percentage of around 70, uh, 70%, 600 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions with an NFL rating of 131.9. He only had two pass breakups um, while playing 96% of snaps. I mean, that is about as bad as it gets. So you get the bye in week 11 and then the post-bye, he faces the Bears, Packers, Eagles, Dolphins, Redskins, Eagles. The Eagles were the walking wounded. They had zero, like, next to no one. The Redskins were, uh, I, I mean, they had half their squad banged up. Dolphins are the Dolphins. You know, what can I say? The Packers, when we faced the Packers, they were, they were uh, decimated by injury. And the Bears have no one. So against the Bears, two targets, zero completions. Uh, against the Packers, seven targets, two completions for 68 yards. Six targets in the Philly game, one completion. Seven targets in the Dolphins game, three completions for 51 yards and a touchdown. The Redskins, 10 targets, nine completions for 98 yards 
and uh, the the finale against the Eagles, one target, one completion for 24 yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, he allowed an NFL rating of around 94. So he did better <laughs> post by. He had five pass breakups, which is an improvement, more than he had in the first 10 games. But uh, his snap counts decreased considerably, 79% of snaps. So don't think he's there yet, but I honestly think he was a victim of uh, a couple things. Um, possibility that Betcher just didn't know how to scheme him, didn't know how to coach him up. Possibility that Janoris Jenkins and Antoine Benetthea were like, nah, I'm good, son. You know, the guy doesn't listen. But, you know, maybe Judge and Jerome Anderson and, and everyone that are now on board, maybe they can get through to him. Because I'd hate to see him get... You can't just give up a, on a guy after one season. Um, you know, I think Judge gets his hands on the game film. His assistants, coaches, they take a look at the game film and they just say, no, 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 we're not using this guy the right way. How did? How was he used at Georgia when he was like the best cornerback in college football? Let's take a look, see if we can do that. But uh, I think Big Blue Interactive tweeted this out a, a couple weeks ago. Antonio Hamilton, who had <laughs> twelve, who who received twelve percent of the defensive snaps, and is, I mean, you know, I almost had a heart attack watching him against the Cowboys in the opener. Had four pass defenses in twenty nineteen. Sam Beal, Corey Ballantyne, and Grant Haley combined had three. That is just no bueno. I mean, you got to make a play on the ball. You just got to make a play on the ball. So that's that's very damning, damning evidence. Um, and really a major reason why they, they need to make a splash in free agency uh, at the corner position, whether that means I don't think you go all in on one I think you get two veteran modest pickups that aren't going to kill your ball club. I mean, they're not going to be pro ballers, not going to be Hall of Famers, not going to be, you know, whatever, but at least they'll be average. <laughs> I think that's what we're looking for. Two average cornerbacks who understand the game and are coachable. I think that's what you got to go for. And, uh, you know, and can battle for the starting position, you know, don't, don't assume anything, but it can push can push uh, Beal and Ballantyne and Haley and uh, Julian Love and Baker. Just get them to up their game and and be better. I don't think Bethea will be will be back, but um, people were skewering Dave Gettleman for saying that like the top four Russian teams are all in the postseason and had moved on to the divisional round. I mean. You know, I mean, Jesus Christ, Jimmy Garoppolo had eight passes in that NFC Championship game. Raheem Moster, who I guess was on the Eagles roster at one point, ran for over 200 yards, was averaging like 11 yards a clip. I mean, the Titans, Derrick Henry. <laughs> Ryan Tannehill was putting up my stats in high school, like 5 of 11, 70 yards, and they were winning ball games. But you can see... If a defense can stop the run, like the Titans stopped Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson 
not at that point yet in his career where he can put the game on his shoulders from a passing standpoint. Can't throw the ball club to a win. So, um, there was a rumor, there was speculation that Jason Witten might have interest in joining the Giants because Jason Garrett's there now. And you know what? Come on board, dude. How fucking funny would that be if he joins us and we win a Super Bowl? I mean, I know, far-fetched, trust me. But uh, just the humor of that alone, him winning a Super Bowl in a Giants uniform after all that damn time killing us with the Cowboys. And then you had to ask yourself, does he go into the Hall of Fame as a Giant? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> Ugh. So... I mean, I like the hires. I don't know most of them, but I just, I don't know. I have this insane level of trust in a head coach who's never been a head coach and, uh, you know, is 38 or something like that. And it's just like, I can see why Gettleman and Mara fell in love with him because I was basically like, yes, this is, when he was talking, you know, when Shermer's press conference came on, I could probably go back to the blog I wrote and it's like, the only appeal, appealing attribute that Shermer brought was like he's not Ben McAdoo, this young guy who thinks he knows it all and is speaking in, you know, uh, certain, all these expressions. But uh, Shermer was not a gentleman and not with the press. He's kind of an asshole to the press, which, you know, I mean, Parcells and Belichick are not exactly, you know, uh, all lovey-dovey with the press, but they had a certain rapport with the press. And Shermer had this attitude as if he was Belichick or Parcells, but you're not, you didn't have the wins. Like, you got to win um, in order to pull that off. So, I don't know. We're in a, I, I think we're in an okay spot. I really do. I think we're okay. You know, we have the seventh most uh, projected cap space heading into the 2020 offseason. I think we're, we're targeting around $62 million. Um, and, uh, there was an article saying that, uh, Dallas Cowboys corner Byron Jones, who's only 27 is, uh, is, would be a pretty good fit. And considering Garrett is now with the Giants as OC, I don't know if that would sway Byron Jones at all. I think maybe was Jerome Henderson also, uh, no, he was not, um, 15 pass breakups, the fourth best forced incompletion rate of any quarter. 6'1", 200 pounds, uh, produced an 85.1 overall PFF grade the past two seasons. I mean, can he stay on the field? Best abilities, availability, can he stay on the field? And, I mean, yeah, can he make plays on the ball at least? So, um, Add, add him to the list. Logan Ryan and Byron Jones, if you can get both of those guys, I think your, your secondary is in a much better position. No more, like, worrying about giving up a first down on third and fucking 15. Jesus. Uh, George Young, former Giants GM, has been elected to the Pro Football, Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was with the Giants from 79 to 97. NFL Executive, NFL Executive of the Year... Mm -mm 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 -mm. In 1984, 86, 90, 93, and 97. Um, and the whole reason that he became the Giants GM was because of the miracle of the Meadowlands in 1978. Uh, 
Wellington Mara, at the time uh, John Mara's dad, asked Commissioner Pete Roselle to recommend a new football operations chief, and Roselle recommended Young, who would only take the job if he were granted full control. And Mara agreed. And where would we be if Mara didn't ask Roselle? If Roselle wasn't commissioner? I mean, there's so many different variables going on here. Um, but, uh, you know, he built through the draft, which is, you know, Gettleman's at this point, this is, that's Gettleman's strength. Um, from 79, when he drafted Phil Sims through the 95 selection process, Young succeeded in signing every player he drafted over that span. Total of 119 players made the club at one time or another. Um, and his downfall was really when free agencies kicked into high gear the 92 season. Um, he just, he couldn't adapt. And then the salary cap came in 94 and that was another, uh, something he just was, was not equipped to handle. Um, but, uh, you know, what a run. I mean, where are we as a franchise if we don't have, uh, you know, George Young. I hate to think about it. But uh, let me see if I can load this real quick. This is not loading. Okay. I'm going to scroll up. I'm going to scroll up. I'm going to scroll up. course internet yeah 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 um 81 lawrence taylor 93 michael strahan both in the hall of fame tiki barber 97 was that a corsi that might have been young's last year with the draft 79 phil sims 93 jesse armstead 86 pepper johnson 92 keith hamilton 83, Leonard Marshall. 84, Carl Banks. 84, William Roberts. 88, Jumbo Elliott. Ninety-five, Scott Gregg. Eighty-six, Mark Collins. Eighty-four, Jeff Hosler. I mean that eighty-four draft. Holy shit. Ninety, Rodney Hampton. So, I mean, you know. He drafted all the, the franchise greats. Um, oh, 97, that was a tough year. That was a tough year. I wrote, I wrote it on the blog for Tri-State Sports Guys that was lost forever um, when we didn't, like, renew the payment plan. <laughs> but in 97... If cell phones existed, which they did, but I guess no one in the fucking room had a cell phone, uh, the decision was between bringing back Bill Parcells uh, or Jim Fossil. And, and they apparently had already, like, they had left, it was some kind of circumstance where they left the room thinking that Bill Parcells was not interested and was saying no. 
And in the time they left the room to to make the announcement that Jim Fossil was the new head coach, Bill Parcells, if he had a cell phone, was gonna like call them and be like, "Yeah, I'm down, but I want complete control, or whatever." And instead, no, we get Jim Fossil, which God bless him, he went all in. But I'd much rather have Parcells. I mean, Parcells did so much more, even after uh, from '97 on bringing the Jets back to prominence with Curtis Martin and Vinny, Vinny T. And then also taking the Cowboys to the playoffs with, uh, with Romo and Bledsoe. So, that sucks. That timeline. Ooh, man, if Parcells comes back, possibly Belichick comes back. Belichick was the defensive coordinator with Parcells in 97, 98, I think 99, maybe. And he was supposed to take over the Jets' head coaching position from Bill Parcells, and that's when the famous trade went down uh, in 99 when he was traded to the Jets or something. It was like, uh, oh, no, no. He was supposed to become the Jets' head coach and then wrote on a napkin, no thanks, and then was traded to the Pats. <laughs> Could have been the Giants. And then we wouldn't have the Pats as a dynasty. The Giants would have been the dynasty for sure. God damn it. All because no one had a fucking cell phone in that room. I feel like I'm butchering that story, so I'm going to look it up. Okay, January 15th, 2015. This is a story on Giants.com. Giants were seconds away from bringing Bill Parcells back in 1997. Three NFL teams announced new head coaches this week and four more with vacancies will do the same in the, in the near future behind monumental decisions such as those. There are stories. While the Giants have needed to make the change in more than a decade, team president and chief executive officer John Mara pleaded, peeled back the curtain on one of his landmark times in 1997. So when the organization hired Jim Fossil, who went on to a 58-53 and record in regular season and took the Giants to Super Bowl 35. The time of Fossil's hiring, the Giants were close to a reunion with future Hall of Famer Bill Parcells. In fact, they were a cell phone call away. That is, if those were prevalent at the time. But they were not. The rest is history. Mara, the executive vice president and chief operating officer at the time and son of late owner Wellington Mara, recalled the story on the Michael K. Show. I was right in the middle of it, quote, to tell you the truth. We had some disagreement at the time about whether Bill should be brought back. My father was very anxious to have him back. Uh, George Young was not anxious to have him back. Bob Tish was kind of right in the middle of it. And I was kind of right in the middle of it as well. Bob kind of changed his mind at the last second and said, okay, if you want to bring him back. In the meantime, George had already walked down the hall. Actually, I think it was the very first time in his life that he ever ran. He ran down the hallway, and by the time I got a call from Bob Tish saying, listen, if you want Bill Parcells back, I'm not going to block it. I ran down the hallway to get George, and he had already made the call and offered the job to Fossil. We didn't think it was right to withdraw the offer at that point in time. Had there been a cell phone... It may have changed things. Not that George would have answered the cell phone, but that is what had happened. It's funny how those things work out sometimes. So George Young, while awesome in the 80s, uh, had less success in the 90s, and then ultimately possibly cost us a dynasty run by not hiring back Bill Parcells. Uh, but he's in the Hall of Fame, so whatever. So that's the Giants. 
Uh, two more things, really quick. Dexter Lawrence was named the PFWA all to the to the PFWA all rookie team. <sighs> Dexter Lawrence named to the PFWA all rookie team as their Pro Football Writers Association. Um, well deserved, I guess. Like to see him become more of a menace, a visible menace, wreaking havoc in the backfield, and uh, more tackles for losses, more quarterback hits, more disruption. Um, like to see more of that in year two. And uh, with the draft coming up, I don't know. Some people are projecting that we're gonna get C.D. Lamb at number four, wide receiver, Alabama. Um, roll Tide, but. Uh, I don't know. I I can kind of see where the team would have some doubts around Sterling Shepard. They just signed him to the big big monster contract, and he's. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that he'll ever really be the same. Too many concussions. Too many injuries. Uh, I mean, maybe you move Evan Ingram to the wide receiver position, just because he can't he can't cut it as a tight end. Darius Slayton looks like a find, but you'd still need someone uh, to help him out so he doesn't get doubled and tripled. So, honestly, I think there are playmakers to be had later on in the draft. I think Isaiah Simmons, I believe is the name, is the guy to go after, the Clemson linebacker who's kind of also, so he's 6'4", 230, but he can outrun receivers. He's listed as a linebacker, so he's a coverage linebacker, but he can play safety. He's played corner. He's a very versatile guy, and he just sounds like someone who would work well within Joe Judge's system. He, you know, uh, that's what many people contribute attribute to the Patriots' success is the the versatility and flexibility of their schemes and their players. So to have a guy that can play linebacker, safety, corner, and, and I think he even you know got put his hand on the ground and rushed the quarterback. So. I'm all for it. I'm all on board the Isaiah Simmons tr freight train from hell. Um, I, have, I plan to go over some free agents. There's like the PFF released their top 100 free agents. I think they have a tracker as well. And uh, there are uh, more than a handful of players that I'd love to talk about, but I'll save that for another time, another place. Let's talk Mets. So what a shit show. <laughs> we go from the Giants who... Uh, have there's a renewed sense of hope in the building, I think, with Joe Judge entering the scene. And uh, I love that he has all these former head coaches in the building. I think that people, um, some people don't like that, that there are former head coaches in the building. I think that's just asinine. The more head coaches you have in the building, the better off you are because they can tell you where they fell short, what mistakes they made, the lessons they learned from the failures, and they can help uh, Joe Judge navigate the murky waters. Brett Bilima, Freddie Kitchens, Jason Garrett. I mean, those are all guys that um, Joe Judge can lean on. So I'm all for bringing in former head coaches. Uh, if they failed, good. You know, if they were such great head coaches, they wouldn't be in the in the building. So um, I'd rather have a bunch of former failed head coaches on the staff. Uh, to give their insight and to tell you what where they went wrong and what 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 they found to be successful. So that's the Giants. We're talking Mets here. 
And boy, is this a shit show. A giant mess, if you will. I, you know, the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal broke, and I thought to myself, oh, you know, there was mention of maybe Carlos Beltran getting mixed up in this, and I was like, ah, come on, 2017, he's a grizzled vet. He's on the, on the doorstep of retirement. You know, uh, why would he ever jeopardize his career, playing career, taint his career with any kind of scandal? Um, you know, but then there's also that, like, I, my movie brain kicks in and I'm like, um, you know, one last heist, <laughs> you know, the old, like the old crotchety guy in the, in the, uh, in the crew, he's like, I just got to do one more job and then I'm out. So I can totally see how he's just been stealing signs his whole career. And then the Astros are, he's like, oh, I'll give it one more shot to get that big payday. And he, he did. I mean, he got the world series championship um and i just didn't think the fallout would affect him i was just like what it's just not no he's not like the mastermind behind it maybe maybe he like you know gave some tips here and there but he wasn't like hooking up the laptop you know and uh you know uh setting up the net the the infrastructure for the wi-fi and you know i just can't picture that beltron doing any of that and of course so then AJ Hinch gets canned, Alex Cora gets canned, and I'm like, eh, I started to worry a little bit, but it still wasn't like, oh boy, here we go. It's, it's on now. And uh, I really didn't think his job was in jeopardy. But I guess he had some kind of talk, some kind of freaking talk with the Wilpons and the Mets ownership. And they decided to, quote-unquote, mutually part ways. Which I, I still don't. I just, I don't buy it. I really don't. The official statement from Will Pond and BV Dubs, we met with Carlos last night and again this morning and agreed to mutually part ways. This was not an easy decision. Considering the circumstances, it became clear to all parties that it was not in anyone's best interest for Carlos to move forward as manager of the New York Mets. We believe that Carlos was honest and forthcoming with us. We are confident that this will not be the final chapter in his baseball career. We remain excited about the talent on this team and are committed to reaching our goals of winning now and the future. Sure. And then... Beltron released a statement. At a meeting with this morning with Jeff and Brody, we mutually agreed to part ways. I'm grateful to them for giving me the opportunity, but we agreed this decision is in the best interest of the team. I couldn't let myself be a distraction for the team. I wish the entire organization success in the future. I mean, uh, come on, come on. What a load of shit this whole situation has become. And, uh, you know, there are other managerial candidates that were out there that are proven, Buck Walter, Dusty Baker. And you know, one of the beat reporters t- tweeted that Dusty Baker hasn't heard from the Mets regarding their managerial opening. He's scheduled to talk with the Astros today. Eduardo Perez hasn't heard from the Mets. He will speak with the Astros tomorrow. Apparently, the Mets brass want to see if Luis Arrojas is the guy. And, uh, yeah, he must have impressed them a lot because he is the guy. They made the uh, official announcement. Um, turns out he's Moises Alou's brother, and that the family name, the Alou's are not the Alou's, fucking breaking news to me, uh, their family name is actually Rojas. 
But when their father, Felipe, signed with the Giants, the scout mistakenly thought his his name was Alu. How? Uh, what? Like, is that scout deaf? How do you mess that up? How do you how do you mistake Rojas Alu for Rojas? So Felipe and Moises decided to go by Alu while Luis stuck with Rojas. Uh, he's Luis Rojas is thirty eight. Thirty eight is the magical number. Joe Judge is thirty eight. Luis Rojas is thirty eight. And he's uh, he's younger than his brother Moises Alu was when he signed with the Mets to be their starting left fielder. Moises Lou was 40 when he signed with the Mets. <laughs> so funny. Uh, Chris Carlin, that fat, bald fuck, no offense. Uh, he said if he didn't think he was if he didn't think he was ready in October, nothing has changed in two and a half months. Hiring Luis Rojas as manager is a mistake. Um, the Astros lost their first and second round picks on the next two drafts and were fined five million. It seems like a pretty small price to pay to win a world championship. I think a lot of Mets fans would sign up for that. Red Sox obviously fired Cora. Um, I don't. I honestly don't know what to say. I mean, the players like Rojas. I think Pete Alonso tweeted out his his support. I think Jeff, maybe Jeff McNeil, also said. I guess because he Rojas had a lot of coaching experience in the minors and it dealt with, uh, you know, McNeil and Alonso down in the minors. I don't know. I think this is a recipe for disaster, to be honest. Um, of course, I you know the the Starling Marte talk just refuses to go away, but now it officially has gone away. I mean, you know, the latest was as of like the twenty fourth, which was Friday afternoon. It was uh the Mets. The Pirates were interested in, in uh, prospect Ronnie Mauricio, a shortstop, which we have we have shortstops in spades, in my opinion. And he's only, and Mauricio is only 18. Widely viewed as the Mets' top prospect and a top 100 prospect in all baseball. Now, you know you know my stance on prospects. I can give a shit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So. Uh, I think a lot of I I would have signed up for that trade Mauricio and and who for Marte sure why not, um, but it turns out I think Marte ended up signing with the Diamondbacks or getting traded to the Diamondbacks, Marcelo Zuna, former Marlins, uh, Mets killer is now uh, a Braves Mets killer. Braves signed him. Meanwhile, Josh Donaldson, I no longer get to see that fuck. Repeatedly, he's he and the and the twins agreed to a four year ninety two mil contract. Um, I feel like I mentioned this last time I did the show, but uh, the Mets agreed avoided arbitration with all nine other eligible players. I feel like I already talked about that. Jeff McNeil is expected to play mostly third base in twenty twenty, which is uh, yeah, obviously, um, although. I wonder if that's a mistake, and they should put McNeil at second and Robinson Cano at third. But I guess there are concerns about Cano being able to make most of the throws. I don't know. Considering he takes a millennium to throw to first base from second, and you have to like sweat out every routine ground ball. Excellent. As I mentioned in the open, Ron Darling is cancer-free, which is uh, awesome news. 
amazing news. So uh, congratulations to Ron. And uh, Ioannis Cespedes, there's video of him that he's uh, doing some light yogging on video. So, man, I tell you what, Ioannis Cespedes is the wild card in this whole situation. He is. Because if he can somehow... Maybe not if we if we can get a half of a season of a healthy yo where he's playing slightly above average baseball, I I'm signing up for that. I'm all I'm all about that. Uh yes, I am yes, I'm signing up. Subscribe. I'm clicking subscribe on that. Would love to have Yo fully healthy for half a season. Preferably the second half of the season <laughs> when they're making a playoff push, not the first half of the season when uh, and then he goes down with a season-ending injury. I would rather just let him take him take take his sweet ass time, and then uh, maybe he gets hot uh, in the second half. Of course, the uh, there's the flip side of that coin where like he gets hot in the first half of the, of the season, uh, but and we can maybe trade him for a nice piece. Um, knowing full well we have we have enough of an outfield to make it work, I guess. Maybe not. Um, there are one, two, three, four positions that have been ranked so far by a major league, uh, the MLB network. Um, Wilson Ramos was ranked as the sixth best catcher in baseball. He was eighth heading into last season. So there's an improvement, but you take a look at the top 10. He has Monty Grandal, the great white buffalo that the Mets have been chasing for so long and just cannot sign is at number one. He ended up signing with the White Sox. JL, JT Real Muto, another catcher that was rumored to be in play for the Mets last season, ended up signing with the Phillies. And then you have uh, Ramos at six. And then Robinson Chirinos with the Rangers at seven which uh, there was some speculation that he might end up signing with the Mets, which that's not a bad one-two punch. Ramos and Chirinos back-to-back six and seven, get them in the lineup. I just don't see that happening, you know? Um, so in terms of right fielders, Michael Conforto is ranked ninth. He was eighth. Uh, he's also ranked eighth at left field last year. Um Mookie Betts is at one, Yelich at two, Judge at three, Acuna Matata at four, JD Jumbo Dongs Martinez at five. This list doesn't make any sense. I just realized that. Bryce Harper at six. Anyway, just having Conforto and Castellanos, who uh, was a free agent at the time this was released, he signed with the Reds. But can you imagine if we had Castellanos and Conforto on the same fucking outfield with Cespedes possibly coming back? God damn it. Oh, and also center fielders. Nimmo, Brandon Nimmo, ranks ninth uh, among the top ten center fielders. He was number, ranked sixth in right field last year. Mike Trout, one. Bellinger, two. Springer, three. Lurian, Ramon Laureano at four. No idea who that is. Whit Merrifield at five. Starling Marte at six. Lorenzo Cain at seven. Hicks at eight. Brett Gardner at ten. Um, so, yeah, I mean, can you imagine if we had Yo coming back, 
either Castellanos or Marte in the mix with Conforto and Nimmo. Marisnik just kind of hanging out and making plays here and there. That is a solid outfield. And of course, no, it didn't happen. Mm. Of course, I mean, it's not, you know, post the offseason's not done yet, but uh, I mean, have we done enough to contend? I don't know. I'm just happy Donaldson's out, but then we got Azuna in the mix now. <sighs> just can't, can't anyone just get just so many other divisions and teams to sign with than the NL East? Um, and then uh, first baseman, I believe, is the last position that has been ranked so far. Freddie Freeman, number one. Uh, God damn, Freddie Freeman. Max Muncy at two. Alonzo at three. So, and uh, I think he has a good chance of supplanting Muncy and Freeman to be the number one first baseman in all the land. Yeah, so that's really it. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it, but uh, Todd Frazier... Sign with the the Rangers one year five mil. I mean, I I thought they should have probably tried to bring him back for two to three million. I just didn't see five making sense. And if that was his his threshold, then okay, Godspeed. Um, but yeah, I mean they. Ugh, I don't know. I feel like I I went over all these already. All right, well. That's the show. Uh, the, the, my video camera completely shit the bed. So there is no video of what I'm talking about right now. And, uh, yeah, life comes at you pretty fast. Life is short. Life. A lot of introspection going on right now. I have, I have seasonal affectionate disorder. Sad, if you will. If, that, if that's a real thing, I have it. If it's not a real thing, just joking. Um, lack of daylight. Staying indoors, not going outside, and uh, seeing, you know, one of my favorite football players retire, who's my age, seeing another basketball player, all-time great, my age, passing away. It's a lot to handle. A lot to handle. And um, I'm I'm killing myself with food and drink. I mean, that's basically what's happening right now. It's just, I can't, can't stop, won't stop. So... All right, well, that's the show. Um, bottom five show of all time? Question mark? I guess I could talk about the Super Bowl. Why not? I mean, who cares? The Pro Bowl happened. I didn't watch a single down of the Pro Bowl. I thought they honestly canceled the Pro Bowl because of Kobe. I had, like, the Pro Bowl skills showdown on for, like, a hot minute in the background while I was doing some other shit. And uh, they were, like, playing dodgeball, and I was like, uh, come on. Although I do like the – they kind of brought back the QB challenge. I don't know how long, how long this has been around, but where the quarterbacks, like, they have moving targets and they got to hit them. I was into that for sure. And, of course, Lamar Jackson didn't throw so well. But then again, Russell Wilson didn't throw well either. Kirk Cousins surprisingly on point. I don't know. I'll tell you what, I think Kirk Cousins is going to win a Super Bowl. And then we have to have the talk about whether or not Kirk Cousins is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> oh, boy.
that'll be fun. Um, so it's the Chiefs 49ers. In the Super Bowl, I am pulling 100% for the Chiefs. I, uh, I'm the bitter rivalry that the Giants and 49ers had in the 80s, that will never die in my mind. I will never get over that. And I will always root against the 49ers no matter what because the 49ers were like the favorite. They were a dynasty in the 80s pretty much in the early 90s. I mean, they were the team that was always seemed to be number one and that the Giants were always aiming to take down uh, as the underdog. So I will forever root against the 49ers. Um, and I really hope the Chiefs uh, just stick it to the Niners. Um because Kansas City deserves it. I feel like they're such a great football town. My buddy from college is like a Chiefs fan. I don't, I just don't, <laughs> I don't comprehend, cause I don't comprehend it. Cause like he's from North Jersey, like right by Giant Stadium. Lived there his whole life, is a Mets fan, but then a Chiefs fan. And it's like, uh, okay, interesting. Do not get it. So, but uh, the Chiefs, yeah. I mean, like, haven't been to the Super Bowl in, uh, what, five decades? And probably should have gone last year if it weren't for D motherfucking Ford. And um, I'm just interested to see Mahomes on in the national spotlight and the in the biggest game of the year to see what he can do, what he'll pull out of his ass. Should be fun. Travis Kelsey with a Super Bowl ring would be funny. I'll probably go start another reality dating show. You want my ring? Well, come get this thing. Uh, that makes no sense. So, yeah, all about them Chiefs. Don't know if I'm going to do Super Bowl boxes. We don't even have any plans, to be honest. It's kind of nuts that we don't have any plans. We usually always have plans for the Super Bowl. Like going here, going there. Usually go to my buddy's place if the Patri Patriots are in it, which they're in it every other year or every year, so we usually go there, but... I feel I'm almost like ashamed to ask him if we can go to his place this year. I'm like, is it okay that we come and the Patriots aren't like in the Super Bowl? Is that okay? I don't know. I don't know. Piss you off. Um, and uh, yeah, so my wife's like, I don't want to do anything. It's like, okay, well, I guess I'm ordering a whole pizza pie and a whole bunch of wings for myself. You're doing Super Bowl boxes at work, and I'm just like, I don't know. I guess I told that story before, but like we um, – I only won boxes once, and I won big time. I won like, I won like five hundred, six hundred bucks, I think. It was the Colts, Saints Super Bowl, when uh, the Saints won, and we ended up going to a bar. We had some people over at the apartment, and we ended up going to a bar across the street after the game, and I immediately blew all that money, running up a tab. And I, I don't. I mean, I blame myself, yeah, but I also blame my my buddy, my roommate, who took full advantage of the fact that he knew that I won five hundred, six hundred bucks, and just ordered the most obnoxious drinks you can think of, and put them on my tab. <sighs> what a dick. Mm. Um. So yeah, that's the show. I'm not gonna tell you about my Instagram. Okay, I'm not going to tell you about my Twitter and my YouTube because I just don't update it anymore. What is the point of social media? I mean, I, I, I know I sound like Andy Rooney right now, but fucking A. 
I just find myself scrolling and looking at shit and seeing stuff that I would never think in a million years would go viral, and it's viral. And I, and I think to myself, wow, I've had that thought so many times, and I've never thought to put it out there on social media. And there are so many times where I have put it on social media, and I get crickets. So I'm in a bit of a funk right now. <laughs> I don't know if you can pick up on it. I, I think I'm a, I feel like I'm about to have a heart attack. I don't know. Not to scare anyone. But uh, it, it's just the body is not really cooperating. I'm just a sl- bag of sludge at this point. So the the spring and the summer can't come soon enough. I'm supposed to go to a bachelor party in March in AC, and I'm like, mm. I just uh, I I I, oof. I don't know what needs to happen emergency liposuction or something for that to happen for me to feel good about myself but all right that's the show jesus christ it's 11 o'clock i gotta go to bed i got work tomorrow i'll uh i guess i'll talk to you guys next week i don't know probably not maybe i don't know okay adios muchachos